0: Today, we're going to focus on the New Testament passage, 1 Corinthians 1, beginning with verse 10 through 17, dealing with a persistent problem in the church, not only in the first century and throughout the history of the church, but since we've been living east of Eden. Foundationally, the problem can be understood as forgetting which air to breathe. By default, Shall we breathe that stale air under the reign of sin and death? Or shall we inhale the life-giving breath of the Holy Spirit under the reign of Christ? Paul calls this dilemma living in the flesh or living in the Spirit throughout all of his letters. He's looking at these two ways to live. In the flesh or in the Spirit. Which air shall we breathe? Will it be divine dependency or an autonomy? A relying upon the self to make it through this life. You've heard that phrase, self-made men? There is no such thing as self-made men. We believe that we have been created by God, right? The maker of all things. And so Christians are called to rely and place their trust in something other than self. And this is the problem this morning in this passage. All the problems addressed by Paul in the church at Corinth are framed in these two realities, flesh or spirit. Life in the flesh or life in the spirit. And before Paul addresses their problems, he wants to remind them who they really are in Christ. Regardless of all their failings, He declares the unchanging new covenant reality which fellowship in Jesus provides. So I'm going to back up to verse 3 and read this because it's critically important that we understand this little passage before he tears into them. And so, notice the difference in tone. Paul is getting ready to describe who they are in Jesus, regardless of their problems. And this problem is division in the church, okay? That's what the problem is. There's factions all over the place. That's why Jesus prayed, Father, make them one, because he knew we would need that prayer. And so, 1 Corinthians 1.3, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified, sanctified in Christ Jesus and called To be his saints. Together with all those in every place who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours grace and peace to you from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he's going to start giving thanks for them. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. Verse 5, that in every way you have been enriched in him, in all speech and in all knowledge. Now underneath that phrase are some of their problems, the mishandling of that gift of speech and knowledge, okay? He's thanking them for the grace of God because it's not the grace of the gift that he's calling into question. It's the operation of that gift that he's calling into question. Verse six, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you until the end. And this is a beautiful promise. Guiltless. Guiltless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And he's preaching the gospel back to them before he can bring correction. He wants to make sure that they know who they are and they're just not acting like that. Can we relate? I can relate to this. (laughs) Sometimes I do not act and think like who I really am in Jesus. Can you, can you get a witness? <laughs> okay. I'm in the right church, I think. I mean, you know, I'm here with sinners, right? Yeah. Okay. Sinners saved by grace. God is faithful by whom you were called, and here's the key to it all, into fellowship. It's into ESV, into the fellowship. You were called into the Fellowship with his son, or the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. We need to know this. We need to always remember this. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves at all times, right? Paul is saying to the church at Corinth, with all of its problems, through faith and grace, this is who you are. This is an issue of identity, you see. They're not living into their identity. This is the transforming grace of the gospel. Now he's ready to move from the indicative nature of who they are to the imperatives, the commands that he wants to give them. And so here's the basic theme of the whole letter, verse 10. This is the basic theme throughout the letter. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, Adelphoi, that word for brothers, I so wish they would translate that properly. It can mean, by context, brothers and sisters. I appeal, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, his authority is the name of Jesus, that all of you agree, (laughs) that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. Schismata, there are schisms among you is the word there. But that you be united, that can be translated having been knit together. Did you hear that in today's psalm, having been knit together in my mother's womb? It's that same idea of having been so intimately connected and knit together like a tapestry that now, because of that, called into fellowship with Jesus, we can have the same mind and the same judgment. Paul will later tell them in 2.16 of Corinthians that we have the mind of Christ. What a reality that is. We have the mind of Jesus if we only apprehend it and attain it. In addressing the Philippian church, he tells them to have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, okay? The same mind, there's the idea. This call to be a new society of harmony, agreement, a metaphor of many diverse notes, sounding a beautiful chord. That's That's the idea there. It's not uniformity, but it's unity. And a unity in a diversity, This comes not from our human condition, but by participating in the mind of Christ. That is how we think and live now in grace, in communion with the unity of God, the Holy Trinity. We've been brought into the unity of the Holy Trinity. And so our unity is not kind of a horizontal thing, as if we could actually walk in unity without God. Can't be done political systems have tried this to be equal and united and it never works out right it's hard enough in the church and when it's not working in the church it's only because we're living in the flesh and not in the spirit and we have to be reminded on a daily basis through our prayer life that we're living in the spirit and we're breathing a new air and it's the holy spirit and that through that we can make every effort Ephesians 4, to maintain, mm, that word, maintenance, to maintain our unity? No, the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's what we're up against right there. We're challenged to maintain, to be caretakers, to be stewards of the unity that is found in God himself, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We have not been left to ourselves to get our act together. We've been left to ourselves to fall on our knees and say, God, transform me. I want to be a unified member in the body of Christ to build up the body of Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's where Paul is going with all of this. We're called to live in a supernatural unity that's a gift. We don't have to produce unity. We can't, it's impossible. Christianity is a supernatural communion in the life of the Holy Trinity. That's what the reversal of the fall is all about. Adam expired his life. He expired his life like a flat tire. And God comes through Pentecost, really. And through Jesus breathing into the life of the apostles in the upper room, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the holy breath, the ruach, the pneuma of God, the wind, the breath, the spirit of God, receive it. That's what Christianity is. And that's what Jesus died on the cross to give us a new life in communion in him. We have been called into the fellowship. The koinonia is the word of his son. The fellowship of his son. The fellowship of the son is with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And he shares now that community with us. It's a community of love because God is love. And when the church is not responding and acting and loving one another, we know that we've walked a little bit away from that love and we're doing things on our own. The history of the church proves this, right? The failings to walk in unity, the failings to walk in love. And all of us will fail in this. The good news is to return and repent and come back to that and acknowledge I was not living and walking in love. We'll have to do that until Jesus returns. But if we don't do that, then we'll stay where we... And so this fellowship of the Son is an immersion into the life of God, a diversity of three persons in one divinity. That's what the Holy Trinity is. It's a diversity of three distinct persons in one divinity, one God in three persons. This diversity in one divinity is given to the church. The gospel places us into that koinonia that is shared with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. I just can't say that enough. Ah, that's our life. And in spite of all this glorious grace, we default often into breathing the stale air, right, of Adam. And so verse 11 begins to address the problems. Let's read that. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's house, Chloe's people is another translation there, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers and sisters. There again, he's calling them back. He says, there's quarreling my brothers and sisters in Jesus. See the paradox there. And what I mean is, each one of you says, I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Or I follow Cephas, which is Peter. Or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? or were you baptized into the name of Paul? I'm gonna stop there. There's four differing factions here that we wanna just briefly look at. Number one is the Paul party, okay? We can call this the Paul party. I follow Paul. How might we understand the makeup of that particular church split right there? That's, That's like a denomination for me right there. It's, like, it's the church of St. Paul at the exclusion of everyone else. Just Paul. All I do is listen to Paul. All I do is listen to Jordan Peterson or whoever your favorite YouTube guru might be, right? I'm going to do that and lay out a church, right? Because uh, I don't need the church. Now I have YouTube. I follow Paul Paul was their founder. And see, Paul has nothing to do with Paul's not the bad guy here. It's the way they're treating this and responding to Paul over a course of time. He was their founder. He planted the church and he spent 18 months with them. And we know this by Acts 18.11. And it is to the Corinthians that Paul says, I became your father. Through the gospel, 1 Corinthians 4.15. There's an affinity, there's an affection there because he became their father through the gospel. He received the download from God. What is that download? Going back to Genesis 12 and following Bill. (laughs) That righteousness comes not through observing the law, but righteousness comes through faith. We get that through the life of Abraham who becomes the father of... Paul says, Abraham's the father of us all. It's not Moses, it's Abraham. Romans 4, Romans 4. Paul was educated under one of the greatest rabbis of his time, Gamaliel. You wouldn't want to follow a guy like that, right? He's highly educated. Yeah, I follow Paul. But you know, Paul was not an eloquent speaker. He confessed this in many ways and many times, especially to the Corinthians. And I kind of think in the back of my mind that Paul is sort of downgrading the way he presented the gospel uh, in light of the problems that are here. He was a genius, but perhaps a bit scrappy in his presentation. (laughs) And to the Apollos party, unimpressive. There's much more here, but let's look at the next faction. I follow Apollos. Who is Apollos? Acts 18:24. Apollos appears on the scene. He is from Alexandria, Egypt, where one of the greatest libraries in antiquity at the time. Uh, at any rate, this is where Apollos came from. And so it says in Acts 18:24, he was an eloquent man. You know, very the opposite of what Paul is saying about himself. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. And so after Paul's 18 months in Corinth, Apollos visits, I'm sure. It doesn't say this specifically. Seemingly, his eloquence produces the wrong allegiance, though. His gifting, his charisma, which is a good thing from God. It's how we handle that charisma and either make a narcissist out of a pastor, right? (laughs) Or a humble servant. Because of the charisma. Apollos comes and apparently, you know, they're comparing now Apollos with Paul. And it's been at least a couple of years. And I believe this is why Paul is saying in the last verse of our passage today, 1 Corinthians one seventeen, that he preached the gospel not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Apollos' gift tended to draw attention to himself. This is not necessarily his intent, but remains the human tendency, isn't it? I mean, the more powerful, charismatic, brilliant, articulate the person is, the more our eyes are open and we're just so wowed. And then at that point, we have to determine who is this person affecting me so much? And how shall I respond to this person now? Because this guy has the goods. <laughs> you know, we all have been challenged with this. I have been challenged with this all my life. I remember one of the first guys I got wowed by was Derek Prince. Anybody know who Derek Prince is? Yes, he was one of my first heroes, right? You have heroes? Yeah, he was a hero. He was a Cambridge graduate. He was a Greek scholar, and he was filled with the Spirit, and he was charismatic. You know, how can you have those two things going on at the same time? This amazing Greek scholar who was filled with the Spirit and did miracles. I used to go and just watch him cast out demons in meetings and stuff. It was just so amazing. Just for a short period in my life, I followed Derek Prince. <laughs> I know what it's like to be wowed by a person's charisma. We just have to watch it, how we respond to that charisma. We have to recognize that's God. That's the Holy Spirit. It's not the person doing the ministry. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, right? To be witnesses. That's what the charisma is for, to be a witness of Jesus, to draw attention to Jesus. Let's move on. I follow Cephas, Aramaic for Peter. In a very brief summary, we don't know if Peter actually visited Corinth or not. Perhaps some of his disciples did. Perhaps this following is based on the only apostle listed who actually was discipled by Jesus himself. Mm. Peter was one of the twelve, and out of the list here of these three men, Peter, Gets the goods. If you want to know, he was really, he had hands laid on him by Jesus himself. He was commissioned by Jesus himself. I'm going to listen to Peter. I'm not going to listen to these other two guys. Right? So a faction arises and it's just Peter and Peter alone that they were listening to. And they were quarreling about no, my guy's the best. No, my guy's the best. My guy has the gospel. No, my guy has the gospel. Isn't that a mess? That's the Corinthian mess, right? I would like to say that it just stayed in Corinth. I think it's the human tendency that we have to check all the time. I know I do. I really do. I have to check that thing all the time because I'm looking for a hero. Other than Christ, I'm looking for a hero. Let's move on. Ah, the fourth crew. This sounds so innocent. This sounds like the way to go. I follow Christ. Yeah. Sounds good. That sounds really good, right? I follow Christ. Only Christ. No human apostle. I don't need the church. I just follow Jesus. It's a Charlie Brown Christian. I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. (laughs) And so out of all of the scandal and the abuse and the trauma of these last five, six years in the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, the Anglican Church, Acts 29, you name it, the, you know, the Southern Baptist Convention, so many people are saying, I follow Christ. I don't need church anymore. Don't you think that the enemy is just rejoicing in his church with all the demons? They're just standing up in the pews going like, yes, we've divided the church. I think that's what's going on. I think that's what's going on throughout church history. Are we following Satan? Are we following the spirit? I mean, even Jesus had to tell Peter get behind me, Satan. Do you know what spirit you're speaking of? The spiritual world is like beyond our grasp and we can be jerked around by demonic forces and we're not even aware of it. Don't you know? Jesus asked Peter, what spirit is motivating what you just said? Wow, if we could only get to that place of discernment. What is motivating me? What is moving me? I am hurt, I'm wounded, I am mad, I am angry at this leader or that leader. Yeah, okay, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Paul is not saying don't be angry. But Paul is saying beware because if you let the sun go down on your wrath, you give what? the devil a place. (laughs) There it is. It's how we manage our emotions. It's how we manage our responses that determines what spirit will be guiding us. Brothers and sisters, let's walk in the Holy Spirit. Let's ask God for discernment because we can be making decisions about the future of the church and your decision for your life that could be misguided completely. And that's why we have to live in the communion of the Holy Trinity. The result is we get into this mess. We start living in the flesh, which is really the breath east of Eden until Christ comes on the scene and Pentecost occurs. But the church is not, you name it, I don't care what group it is, and Anglicans included, we don't do a good job of this. Right? I don't do a good job of this. I so need to learn how to walk in the Holy Spirit on a daily basis and be so dependent on the Holy Spirit and so committed to the Scriptures, which really, that's a part of the mind of Christ are the Holy Scriptures, but it's not limited to the Holy Scriptures. There will be times where you're going to have to make discernment, yes, based on the Scriptures, but you're not going to find a Scripture that's going to tell you everything. You have to intuit in the Spirit with your conscience given to God, like what is the best way forward? And Paul does this in Acts 16. I wanted to go to Bithynia. I wanted to go into this place. But the Spirit of Jesus prevented us from going. And finally the Macedonian call comes after going this way and this way and this way. And Paul is saying, the Spirit of Jesus stopped me. That's walking in the Spirit. And that's what I'm calling all of us to be like. To grow up and, and go wow, man, this seems like a closed door here. What are you doing, God? What are you doing, Lord? What are you doing? Calling others to pray for you, and then all of a sudden, you're on track. This is not perfect. This is not a perfect science, you see. This is called discernment. This is called walking with God and realizing your weakness. And so remember the first part of Corinthians that we've read, who you are. If we can just live into who we are, then we'll be on track. If we live out of our true identity instead of our false identity, you see, it's the true self, not the false self, (laughs) that we have a choice to live in. We're exhorted, we're commanded. Based on the indicative nature of what a Christian is, this is the way now to live. Let me close with this. 1 Corinthians 3, 3. Paul sums this up for a while. But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. You're breathing that air east of Eden still. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh? And behaving only in a human way. God, what an expectation he has. I'm only human. (laughs) (laughs) Verse 4. He's not going to let us off the hook. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Parenthesis here. I'm glad we're called Anglicans. We're named after a people instead of a figure. We're not named after Calvin, we're not named after Luther, we're not named after John Chrysostom, we're not named after anybody but a people in the British Isles, where it started. Thanks be to God. But we still have the same problems in the Anglican Communion. We have probably more than many that I just named. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, help us God. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. And as the Lord assigned to each, I planted. Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. There it is. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Get that. But only God. Can you say, but only God. Let's say it together. But But only only God. God who gives the growth. And it's not just numerical growth he's talking about there. It's the growth in Christ. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the life of God pulsating through us. He who plants and he who waters are one. You see, they had divided Apollos and Paul and Cephas and Christ. Paul is saying, is Christ divided? No. You're dividing him. But Christ cannot be divided. (laughs) He who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.